Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. The Washington Report. Money FM 89.3. It is now time for the Washington Report. So we're going to take a look at headlines out of the United States. In particular, we're watching the Taiwan elections where they've elected a new president, Democratic Progressive Party's Lai Ching-te, who happens to be the vice president of Tsai Ing-wen. Now, Saturday's election was closely watched, not just by Taiwanese voters, but also China and the United States. What will this mean as far as the balance of relationship between both Beijing and Taipei is concerned? How will it affect U.S.-China tensions? We will discuss that and a lot more. On the line with me is Emeritus Professor Joseph Camilleri from La Trobe University, Melbourne, and Fellow of the Academy of Social Sciences in Australia. Professor, good afternoon. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Very good, sir. Thank you so much for taking the time to discuss these topics with me. Quite touchy ones. We'll start off with the Taiwanese presidential elections. It's got implications all around, Beijing, Washington in particular. What does the presidential pick mean for U.S.-China relations at a glance? Well, I think it's going to be a flashpoint, continue to be a flashpoint in relations between the two countries. The U.S. has made a point under recent administrations, particularly the Biden administration, to uh, be very closely attached to and supportive of Taiwan, and China does not look kindly on that. So as long as that remains a U.S. policy, then that will be a bone of contention, the question of that. The issue here is, will Taiwan want to push further ahead with its independence and will the U.S. want to support that? And that, I think, remains to be seen. What we need to understand is that China plays a very long game. It thinks in terms of decades, not months or the odd year or here or there, as tend to do most Western governments. So uh, it's going to display its importance on the world stage, no doubt. It'll continue to do that. We've just heard that a day or so after the election, the small island state, Pacific island state of Nauru, has just decided to break its relations with Taiwan and to establish diplomatic relations uh, with China. And this was a calculated move, no doubt, on the part of of China. And what made that difference, that move possible, is that China has a very large checkbook, which Taiwan could never match. And that, I think, is at least as much where where the tussle is going to be played out as anywhere else. China is going to use its checkbook to effect, I think, in order to squeeze Taiwan more and more out of its uh, diplomatic status around the world. Yep. And how, you know, parties like the Kuomintang is going to have to work with the DPP in a legislature is also going to set the tone. The president, Joe Biden, saying we do not support independence, quote unquote, uh, when asked in reaction to the elections on Saturday. How then will the U.S. continue to assert pressure on cross-strait ties when Mr. Lai, the new president-elect, comes into power? 
Well, I think it's going to be difficult for them because they say they do not wish to support Taiwanese independence. On the other hand, they're very keen to treat it as if it were independent. In other words, lots of exchanges, economic, military, and for that matter, even political. So it says it's opposed to a formal declaration of independence, but what it does is to treat it as if it were in practice independent. Uh And that is what is going to continue to irritate the Chinese side. Mm -hmm. So that's not going to change, uh, I think, in a hurry. And uh, but what you've pointed out in a minute in your comment is correct that what people have not noticed Mm -hmm. is that the uh, margin by which uh, the current vice president of Taiwan has won the election is a lot less than the margin by which his predecessor, the current president, won it at the last on the last occasion. Mm-hmm. And also, they got 40% of the vote, mm-hmm. and the other parties got 60% of yeah. the vote. So China is going to pay a lot of attention to see that it strikes a good relationship with the two parties that have scored 60% and try and squeeze the incoming president as much as possible and tie his hands as much as possible. You know, Professor, what I really like was your opening comments to say that China likes to play the long game. China's a country that goes into any diplomatic discussion with a strategy as opposed to just a lot of words, fluffy words. And one of the long games that China might play is to wait out for the presidential elections that are happening at the end of the year. Apparently, the first contest, the race of the 2024 Republican presidential nomination is being held in Iowa today. This will be the first major tests of whether runaway front-runner Donald Trump can beat out rivals Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. What are your expectations, Professor? Well, by all accounts, and that's all one has to go by, of course, we know about the weather and it might make a number of people reluctant to go out and vote. Yeah. So that might have some effect on the result. But by all accounts, Trump should win comfortably. And if he were to repeat that in the next two primary elections contests, then I think he will be well on the way to gaining the candidacy for the Republican Party come the next presidential election. Of course, leaving to one side the question of the many legal issues that he is facing at the moment, but so far he has been able to use them to his political advantage. Mm. But uh, the legal implications have yet to be fully played out. Yeah, I just saw a graphic uh, in spite of the weather, Donald Trump does look like the uh, potential front runner for this. Of course, beneath all of that, uh, we've got uh, the sprint to get on the ballot for those not running as Republicans or Democrats, independents, the likes of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Colonel West and entrepreneur Andrew Yang. Tell us a little bit about these contenders or, or potential contenders for that matter. Yes, well, I think it is quite interesting in different ways, coming at it from different uh, perspectives and different backgrounds. Sure. I think the three are likely to hurt the Biden vote yeah. much more than the Trump vote. Yeah. And assuming they continue with their plans to contest the presidential election, I think that will hurt Biden very, very much. 
I would be surprised if the three of them together don't secure close to 10% of the national vote. Now, that 10% might be 2% at the expense of Trump, but 8% at the expense of Biden. Yeah. So I don't think it's looking very good from that perspective for Biden at this stage, assuming that Trump is still a candidate come November of this year. What could stop Trump from being a candidate in November, other than the obvious not being voted to, to, to be the front runner for the Republicans? The various legal issues that he's well, facing? Well, that's the only thing that can yeah. stop him. And I think that's the only thing that could prevent him from being the Republican candidate. And that would require the Supreme Court. Ultimately, most of the legal disputes, the big ones, will go to the Supreme Court. They will require them. And remember, he appointed three of them, and there is a a conservative majority of six out of nine. Uh, It will require of them to say that we are prepared through legal means to disqualify the candidate which the Republican Party looks like choosing and who, at this point, looks a very good bet to beat Biden. That would take an awful lot of doing on the part of the Supreme Court. So we, we await with great interest. All right, Professor, final issue I want to look at. Uh, U.S. and British warplanes, ships, submarines launched dozens of airstrikes across Yemen overnight. Retaliation for the repeated Houthi attacks on one of the busiest commercial shipping routes in the world. It's caused a lot of division among countries, these discussions. What are you hearing in terms of these divisions with regard to the strikes? Well, I think it's very interesting to see who supported the strikes. Of course, as you say, as you say in your question, uh, primarily it was the US and the UK with a little bit of help from a few allies, notably Anglo allies and perhaps Germany, but none of them really playing a significant military role. Mm. It was mainly a kind of political moral support. The brunt of these uh, strikes was borne by the US and the UK, and that registers. It's interesting that France was asked and steadfastly refused and explained why it refused. It refused because it said to do so would be, would be to kill the prospect of any ceasefire and kill the prospect of any release of Israeli hostages. Uh, And it wants to therefore use its officers, this is France, in order to be able to move in that kind of direction if Mm. possible. Mm. So that tells you that there is deep division. And in a sense, the US, I mean, the UK is not really a terribly important actor. It would never do anything on Mm. its own. It only does it on the heels of the United States. But it's put the US in a very difficult position because it has been preaching for two months now that it wants to see de-escalation of the war in Gaza. But it wants to confine the war to Gaza and not allow it to spread to other parts of the region. But here it has itself escalated the conflict Mm -hmm. and the Houthis apparently have just launched the strike, unsuccessful, but nevertheless launched the strike. It is very unlikely that they're going to be stopped. And in the meantime, the conflict across the border, Lebanon and Israel, is escalating with more deaths apparently on both sides. Mm. So we are seeing the escalation 
of the conflict, which has Gaza and the assault on Gaza at its heart, and all of these other events, like what's happening in the Red Sea and the U.S. uh, decision, are really likely to escalate the situation rather than diffuse it. I don't really think the U.S. knows at this point how to get out of this pickle. So, Professor, don't mind, would I be correct to say that the U.S. is in a pickle such that you have escalation happening, but you're trying to manage the situation without getting more regional players being drawn in. And I feel like after saying that, it's almost an impossible situation. It is, because if you're escalating yourself, then you are inviting both Hezbollah and the Houthis in the first instance to become active. And we've got to remember, there is fury on the Arab street, on the Arab street against Israel and its primary backer, the US. Absolute fury. And some of that fury is directed against their own governments for not doing enough. They're expecting, these, uh, the, the populations in many Arab countries are expecting action, mm. not just words, against Israel and its primary backer, the United States. So I'm afraid, until and unless the U.S. is able to adopt a more balanced position, mm. it's going to have its hands full if it wants to see escalation contained. All right. I've been speaking with Emeritus Professor Joseph Camilleri, who is from from La Trobe University, Melbourne, and fellow the Academy of the Social Sciences in Australia. Thank you so much for your time, Professor. Take care and have a great Monday evening. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.